Hi, I'm Nat. And I'm Will. And together we are a mess of, a mess of doctors. doctors. You noticed that, that was slightly better than the first two, but still not good. <laughs> we will get there. We will get there. With time, patience, and maybe more sleep. And practice. And practice. Yes. Okay, yeah, that's a thing too. I forgot about practice. <laughs> practice makes perfect. I'm um, just really tired. Anyway, yes, yes, go on, my darling. Huge juice. So this is episode three. Uh, last week we spoke about difficult patients. Mm. And now this week we will be talking about a different group of people, colleagues and bosses. Who are still difficult and not our favorite people. With a capital D. Yep. And this is a really tricky one to talk about, because how do we talk about this without potentially losing our license or getting a complaint lodged against us? <laughs> well, even though that's the case, we I think it, it's still a very important topic to, uh, to, to talk about, because we experience this every single day. Absolutely. I mean, we always have that colleague or a boss who you just you dread going into work because you might have to interact with them and they just throw off your entire day like I think the point where you've got a boss who's so awful to work for that you actually want to call in sick sometimes and I've had that before it it was just the worst I I'm sure that I was a worse doctor for it Yes. And the difference between difficult patients and difficult colleagues is you can, you only need to spend five minutes with the patient, but you have to spend the entire week, the entire term with colleagues. Totally. And like colleagues, I mean, that's a different thing altogether, isn't it? I mean, you can, you can always run away from the unpleasant surgical reg, but what if it's your senior registrar who's unpleasant? How do you deal with that? And I mean, yeah, back to the boss point, bad consultants. And I don't mean like bad as in negligent. I mean, bad as in they make you so scared and they frighten you to the point where you're not improving your skills. You're not becoming a better doctor. You're just literally resenting them. Yeah. And this must happen all the time and not just in the medical field. It happens in every single industry. And I think that's what we're going to be talking about this week and just sharing our experiences and just just saying, you know, this is a normal thing and let's and, and, and try to figure out how we can overcome these uh, complications. Exactly. And if worse comes to worse, Will and I will always accompany you for wine and wine. More wine. Wine squared. Wine squared. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Will, do you want to start with your story? Yeah. Uh, so for me, uh, recently I have worked with a very difficult senior registrar. Um, yeah. And uh, I nailed it down to poor communication skills. I think there, there were many times where uh, the registrar would not tell me what she's thinking. She wouldn't do a paper round. Uh, she wouldn't tell me where she's going or what she wants to do. Mm. And this leaves me in a very difficult position where I feel completely lost and just frustrated. I think that's fair enough. How did you work around it? In fact, no, but I think a better question is how did it impact upon your practice? So I think... As a junior registrar, I definitely feel like I need to have someone uh, support me and make sure that I'm doing the right thing. Mm. Um, I can, I will still follow guidelines and you know, uh, make sure I'm doing the best that I can for my patients. Mm -hmm. But whether I'm doing 
things as most as efficient and being supportive to my juniors is I think largely impacted by the way the registrar is you know interacting with me sure and how did you in fact you're still going on with it so how you know how are you managing um so as I mentioned, I think the the issue was all down to communication. Yeah. Um, so I've I've just learned to kind of try to talk to her more, try to engage with her, even though she doesn't respond. And at, <laughs> at times, I, I've just kind of overstepped that um, hierarchy and just went straight to the boss. You know, that's that's all I, I can do. Has your boss been supportive? They've been very supportive, but as you know, bosses can be quite busy. You know, they're in clinics all day. They don't get back to you as quickly. Um, but you know, you just kind of have to do what you got to do. Yeah, absolutely. You got to cope, don't you? Yes, that's right. Um, mm. But you know, in, in saying that, I'm, I'm in in regards to what's causing her to have poor communication skills, I'm not sure whether it's because she doesn't want to talk to me, she's having a very difficult, stressful life, whether this is a personality, um, I'm not too sure. And that's always the thing, isn't it? Is that usually when our colleagues are difficult, our bosses are difficult, it's not because they, you know, wake up every morning and think, God, I'd really love to ruin this person's day. (laughs) I just don't think they think about us that much. No. I think they wake up and think, well, I'm really unhappy about this thing in my life. And it just puts their temper, their entire personality on like a slightly shorter, a shorter leash. And so things break more easily, their temper phrase more easily. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there is a little bit of personality in there, let's be honest. But I'm sure most of it is actually just what's going on in their life. And they might be, you know, not entirely happy with things. Yeah. Which is really sad because, you know, you shouldn't be, you know, unleashing that negative emotion and energy onto your junior doctors or anyone else for that matter. Totally. But it's sometimes just really hard to not do that. I mean, you and I have, you know, we've both had short tempers because we weren't exactly happy with something else and we maybe took it out the wrong people. We've mentioned this before. Um, But yeah, I think we have to work with it. I have a really interesting story where I was brought into a practice OSCE one time and they gave me the situation of a difficult surgical registrar and the surgical registrar was like really abrasive and I remember thinking during this OSCE I have never ever met anyone like this in real life this is the most unconvincing situation actually it remains to this day the most unconvincing situation I've ever been because this make-believe surgical registrar was just like drama, drama everywhere. And this actor was going for gold. Um, And I remember getting really annoyed with the actor and I tried not to show it. Um, And what I tried to do instead was be like, are you okay? What's going on? And then we ended and this actor turns around and says, I was really patronizing. And I was like, what did you want me to do? (laughs) What did you want? Did you want me to yell at you in this Oski? Because I'm not sure that's what you wanted. I, oh, so angry still. <laughs> no. And it leaves a bad taste in your mouth, doesn't it? It does. That actor, BT Dubs, if you're listening to this, and I don't think you are, please stop doing that. Surgical registrars really aren't that bad. <laughs> Give that person an Oscar. They <laughs> <laughs> need a razzle. Is that the name of it? The razzle? The bad acting awards? That. <laughs> that. 
Um, but I've also had really difficult bosses. I had a consultant in my past who I just, I don't know what was going on. I don't think it was pleasant. Um, but they had a reputation for being so unpleasant that they made a lot of juniors cry and they definitely made me cry. And I'm not mm-hmm. like a big crier at the workplace. It's just not my thing. I like to be quite deadpan. Um, and they laid into me and it was because I put down exacerbation of heart failure as a diagnosis. And yes, to be fair to them, that is not a diagnosis. I absolutely agree that I deserve to get called up on that. But it was the level to which I was, you know, reamed and bollocked for this. It was just a little bit out of keeping with the actual infarction. Um, and the same consultant, I remember someone else being like, oh, well, you know, they prefer men. And it's not an excuse. Um, and at last I heard they're still practicing as they were and that's really unpleasant and I still don't know how to get around that consultant I actually don't want to go back and work at that hospital um, despite me loving that hospital just in case that consultant's there and I used to go to I used to like check the rotor in advance and be like oh god I'm on with this person oh my god and I used to psych myself up I used to get really nervous and I wasn't getting nervous in a way that made me learn more I wasn't learning in a way that made me prepare my lists better um I just felt sick and anxious and sad oh Nat I know we love you thanks but literally that was it and that was all because you know just a really unpleasant boss to work for um, I've been really lucky with the senior registrars I've been working with thus far, but I mean, they're out there and all of us are someday going to experience someone who makes us really unhappy. Oh, that's just, just absolutely not on. And just hearing how one person can completely change your entire life and make you very stressed and on edge, like the this is the reason why we have really poor welfare in the workforce. We do um, have poor welfare, you're right. And it starts from the top, you know. Um, if the boss is is doing this to the registrar, the registrar is not working as effectively as they possibly can and they're stressed, that can also trickle down to the juniors, the interns, the medical students, the nurses, just mm. everyone. And that has a really poor outcome for the patients. Totally. But putting it out there, if you are listening to this and thinking, gosh, all my bosses are unpleasant, and all my senior registrars are unpleasant. I've never had a pleasant boss or senior registrar in my life. I need you to take a deep breath. Maybe think about this. <laughs> and maybe consider what your previous feedback said. <laughs> Look, I think that's, that's why we need to break the chain. We need to stop this culture of negativity, of belittling people, bullying, and we need to start being supportive and just a human being to everyone around us. This is so true, but how do you draw the line between being this really supportive, nurturing person? Like, what if you've got someone in a level below you who's just not getting it and isn't able to learn and you don't think is appropriate in the workplace? I mean... I've had some of those before and you can't always keep your temper and you certainly can't always be this really nurturing, supportive person. You know, sometimes they take it too far. That's a very interesting point. And you're right, we are human and we are prone to emotional bouts of 
you know, hysteria, which we'll touch about later. Um, but um, I think it's it's not got to do with how you react at that one instance. It's how you how you um, interact with the the people around you over you know the weeks and the the months, um, and just if you can generally be a nice person. I think um, you would be able to reach more people because Nat, you were just saying that when you worked with this boss, you weren't being the best doctor you could possibly be, mm-hmm. right? And you weren't learning. And if they were a bit nicer, maybe you might have tried a little more and you know actually grew as a person and doctor. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. And certainly I know that I try really, really hard for the bosses who seem like they really care about me. But I guess my point is, you know, is that there's definitely some people out there in the world who are not good doctors and who shouldn't be in this profession. And they they sometimes get this, you know, thing of am I being bullied, you know, because I keep getting pushed and I keep getting told to, you know, improve and things. And I, I do sometimes worry that we, you know, say, you know, you should be loved. We should be encouraging each other. We should be really cuddly with each other. But sometimes you do need to push people and you do need to hear the words, you know, you're not that good. You need to get better. Um, and so how do you distinguish between being pushed and being bullied? Because you can't do it, obviously, based on feelings. That's absolutely, that's right. I, I think... The best way to approach that is to try to discuss things in the most objective manner possible. Mm. So sitting them down and just saying there is an issue here, let's work it through it together as a team Mm -hmm. rather than you suck (laughs) or being passive aggressive about it and telling other people about it or just or ignoring the issue um, because it doesn't help anyone. Okay, yeah. I think, yeah, what I'm trying to get to is that I feel like sometimes you have to take ownership of the criticism that you receive. Yes. And that is all I have to say. That's right. And it's this, I think this is a very interesting topic to discuss because the people that we interact with every single day will shape our experiences and determine you know, what pathway and where we will end up. True. Like, have, have you ever, like, for, for me at least, I've only met some really horrible surgical registrars and that <laughs> has completely put me off surgery. I don't know whether this was the actor that... <laughs> Maybe uh, he's just, like, going around all the countries in the world pretending to be a really mean surgical registrar. Um, no, I mean, all respect to surgery, actually, one of the best... A couple of the best registrars I've ever worked with were surgical... Um, and I didn't find them unpleasant. I found them, you know, to the point and they were just quite, uh, quick with their words. And it doesn't mean that they were mean. They were just wanting to get stuff done. Mm. Um, and I've certainly met quite a few unpleasant, uh, medical registrars. Um, I don't think it's unique to surgery. I think perhaps surgeons just have a slightly shorter time frame to say things. That, <laughs> so it comes across as a bit meaner sometimes. And- yeah, no. Well, I, I wasn't saying surgical registrars in general. It's just my experience, and I'm sure other people might have experienced that for 
ONG or medical specialties as well. And I think it all just comes down to personality and who you work well with. Totally. And how you, how you perceive other people to be. Yeah, I think that makes entire sense. Um, I think, yeah, you've got to somehow adjust your perceptions. I'm not blaming this on you, the listener. I'm not blaming this on you, Will. I'm certainly not blaming it on myself. It's not always your perception that, you know, says you're being overly sensitive. And I definitely don't want to give across that message. I guess what I'm trying to say is um, whenever you get negative feedback and you're like, oh, my gosh, this person has it out for me. Just take a deep breath. Think about what they've said and think about whether it's proportional to your action. For example, you know, have I been criticized before? Yes, of course, but I took it, you know, because it was really valid at the time. And in the case of the heart failure not being a diagnosis, yes, I acknowledge that heart failure is not a diagnosis. Um, but, but I think the five minute rant about how useless I was for saying that as a diagnosis was perhaps out of proportion. So I just kind of want to put it out there that, you know, in medicine, you are going to get some negative feedback. It's not always someone being nasty to you. Sometimes you just need to hear what you will need to improve on. Here, here. What? What? <laughs> Is there anything more? Uh, no, I, I think... I think we've covered that and we might touch on this again a bit later um, and I can tell you how uh, how I've managed to deal with this senior registrar and hopefully it's a good story I hope so too I'll keep you updated yeah don't do what I do and just like run away from the mean boss (laughs) that's what I (laughs) just duck out the way (laughs) but for any bosses that are listening um the people that we have worked hardest for and tried the most to impress have been the bosses who we felt were, you know, trying to get the best out of us and wanted the best for us. Those were definitely the bosses that I wanted to work the hardest for and I, I probably achieved the most under them. Mm. Yep. We don't like being pushed, we just mind being pushed over. <laughs> yes, that's a really nice way to put it. Okay. So... Can I please talk about my journal club? Yes, this is a really good one. Thank you. <laughs> I have got a paper from the Edinburgh Medical Journal at the years 1892. And the reason Will and I are choosing a lot of these old papers is because, as mentioned before, they are old enough that um, the information is a little bit out of date. And again, we're not making fun of them. It's just quite funny. <laughs> So, the title of this paper is The Nature of Hysteria. 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 And it's by a Lim Boon Kang, which is actually a bit of an unusual name. I wasn't expecting that. It sounds a little yeah. bit um, Asian. Uh, which, for 1892, not expecting it. Anyway, so. <clears throat> Mr. Kang was a Queen Scholar of the Straits Government. He was the curator of the Library of the Royal Medical Society, and he was a student of medicine at Edinburgh University. And the opening line is, the subject of this paper is probably as old as medical literature itself. (laughs) So dramatic. He has gone out with guns blazing. He is pretty, pretty convinced of himself. 
<laughs> this reminds me of the Sleeping Beauty song. What? Tale as old as time. Oh my god. <laughs> Isn't that Beauty and the Beast? Oh yeah, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> my Sorry. knowledge of Disney is unparalleled. Um, if we get sued for using that little bar of song, by the way, I'm definitely charging that to you. <laughs> <laughs> the next I sang it off key, so... <laughs> so the count. next line is, um, Yet the account given of it in our ordinary textbooks is far from being satisfactory, in spite of the fact that most medical writers from Hippocrates downwards have attempted to solve the problem. Indeed, a reference to the literature of this neurosis is not likely to give one much encouragement in the study of its nature. Instead of finding our difficulties solved, we are at a loss to know how to effect an escape from the tangled web of ancient, medieval, and modern theories, whose number is legion. <laughs> With an exclamation mark. I love that. I love how you describe something as legion. When's the last time you read a medical paper that was like, and the evidence for this was legion? That'd be incredible. <laughs> I would love to put that in my medical journals. Um, I also love that he's mentioned, we started mentioning the Greek founding fathers of our medicine. This is beautiful. This is exactly up my street. <laughs> Could you say Hippocrates again? Hippocrates. I <laughs> <laughs> um, can't Sorry. help this, everyone. I've been playing Assassin's Creed from <laughs> the one that's set in Greece. And... Um, I keep having the main characters being Hippocrates in my head. So, the doctrines of Hippocrates and his followers, founded on those of Pythagoras and Plato, are interesting enough. Whilst the teachings of Galen, embodying as it does the essence of the humoral pathology of the older school, shows a decided advance, insomuch as Galen and Aetius deny that the uterus moves from its place. (laughs) What? Um... We're confirming, Well, just so y- you seem to have lost us, and I don't know why. Was it the fact that they said the uterus doesn't move? <laughs> well, I, I can't wait for the next the the next part where they where they say that. But from the time when the uterus was regarded as a roving animal. <laughs> oh, you know what? This entire next little paragraph is golden. Do you want to read it, Will? Yes. Um, so, according to Hirsch, in the Brahemical Hymus Hysteria, hymns. it's referred to... Hymns Hysteria. Oh, hymns. Sorry. Hymns Hysteria is referred to as the disease of the nervous system. <laughs> But in the Middle Ages, science was in such a condition that demonology, which was the cone sage, successfully discarded from medicine, again, occupied the intention not only of the ignorant, but also of the learned. The credit belongs to the much maligned Paracelsus for boldly, boldly asserting amidst much opposition that the epidemic dancing manias were not due to the influence of evil spirits or such like. Okay, look, guys, when I dance, I know that it's maybe not the prettiest thing you've ever seen, but I'm definitely not possessed, okay, kids? Maybe in Middle Ages, women just like to get down with their bad selves, okay? They had to cook, they had to clean, they had to try and avoid being accused of witchcraft. Girl needed to dance in order to get her, you know, thing on. I understand it. This is just mean. To move the uterus? 
<laughs> I can imagine some like woman just being like, look, I've, you know, cleaned for my six children. I'm 14 years old. My husband's 36. I'm just having to clean the house before he gets back. And she does like a little shimmy to some good old classical flute music. Like, yes, girl. Maybe you need to do that. <laughs> Work. Maybe maybe times need to advance a bit more. But yes, yes, if you want to dance, go for it. Sorry for interrupting. Please keep going. <laughs> it's all right. Um, when the anatomy and physiology of the nervous system became better understood from the works of Willis, Silvius, Descartes, Ooh. Haller, and others, numerous authors began to regard the nervous system as the seat of hysteria. <gasps> I love that. But... F- from the time when the uterus was regarded as a rovic animal <laughs> down to the 18th century, hysteria had been regarded as a malady peculiar to women. Sydenham was among the earliest observers to show that this neurosis was also seen in men. <gasps> no. Dun, dun, dun. Men? Men can become hysterical? Yes, we can. Amazing. My husband definitely confirms this. <laughs> I can confirm this. Um, Sydney was among the earliest observers to show that... Oh, sorry, I've said that. Uh, although it did, he did not seem to make a distinction between hysteria and hypochondriasis. See, that's an interesting point because men are hypochondriacs. I think we are. Are you, we? You all are, definitely. As soon as my husband gets the flu, he's like, I'm dying. Oh my god! Uh, I'm dying. Life is Nat, over. The man flu is a thing. Okay. Wait, he cut himself the other day, like a little bit on the ankle. He's like, "Oh my god, Natalie, do you have a tissue? I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding, Natalie." It was a tiny cut. Like, let it air dry. Let the leeches absorb the blood. For God, <sighs> men, men, <laughs> hypochondriac. But then in other times, we also uh, don't... There are a lot of men that I meet who come to hospital late as well. So, yeah, we go both ways. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Nat, do you want to read the next part? Okay, so without attempting to consider the views of Pisa, Lepore, Stahl, Hoffman, Cullen, Pinnell, and a host of well-known writers, we pass to the most widely accepted theory in the present generation. Some 30 or 40 years back, Romberg, Bright, Copland and others associated the uterus with the nervous system and explaining the nature of hysteria, but no authority now maintains that uterine irritation or congestion is an essential element. Sorry, uterine congestion. My uterus is not a nasal cavity. <laughs> it does get congested. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> The favourite theory accepted nowadays is, of course, of course, more scientific, of course it is, and rational than that of Pisa or any of his contemporaries. It explains, however, as little as did the animal spirits of Sydney in a school. The result is therefore no, and I'm flicking to the next page, and my internet's slow, no progress is made in the study of hysteria. Oh, good. Thanks, Mr. King. 
That was a disappointing line. In hospitals, cases of this affection are well recorded, but nothing is done in the way of research that's calculated to increase our knowledge or the pathology of hysteria. So long as no attempt is made to investigate this complex disease beyond staring, as it were, at our patients, <laughs> no advancement need be expected. I love this dude. <laughs> what line of research then is open to us? The answer will appear quite obvious when we've discovered the nature of hysteria in the light of modern physiology. Well, well, mm. I've mm. been promised a lot. My interest um. is piqued. <laughs> I think this next part is really interesting. Hysteria is often described as a neurosis resulting from defective inhibitory power or caused by the perverted will. I have a perverted will. It's you. Hey, am I hysteria? <laughs> Embodiment. That should be my drag name. <laughs> the emotion and imagination have, as it were, rebelled against common sense and judgment. But does this theory of faulty inhibition really inform us much as to the nature of malady? Does it not rather tend to cover our ignorance? How often one hears a general neurosis and functional disease mentioned in a reference to hysteria? These words mean nothing more than this. The disease exists, but we are ignorant of its nature. It's really interesting because I don't actually know what he means now by hysteria. Yeah, he's described it as so many things. We've gone so far into this paper and I still don't know what he means by hysteria. What is hysteria? <laughs> Let's just it's made up. scan down here, Will. Do we have a symptom of hysteria? I've got the symptoms of mild cases of hysteria point to a morbid condition of the functions of the higher parts of the brain. That's great. What are those symptoms? Oh, oh, wait. This is a great line. It is more common in women than in men, simply because females are more easily excitable and more emotional than men. <gasps> That's right there. Yeah, must be fact. <laughs> it's written down. <laughs> um, look, okay, let's just go to the conclusion. <laughs> we are... The nature... <laughs> <laughs> the nature of hysteria may be briefly said to be a psychochemical disturbance of the nervous system. The constant presence of the nervous systems in uh, symptoms in chronic metallic poisoning in malaria, lithemia, some forms of diabetes mellitus, and other diseases of allied nature point to the importance of suspecting the presence of chemical bodies in the blood. Dr. Weir Mitchell's method of treatment is so valuable and efficacious because it ensures the removal from the body of waste products while it turns up the nervous system. If this paper seems too wildly speculative to those who decry hypotheses based on the established facts, then the writer may ask what we know of nature of diseases like diabetes, gout, rheumatism, and other forms of blood poisoning. <laughs> I'm so confused. I just have no idea now what we're even talking about. Is this hysteria? What's going on? We've you know what? I, I think this Dr. Limboon Kang has hysteria because he just, he, he, he made a conclusion and then just said, if you disagree with me, then I think you are just crazy. <laughs> 
I just I can't even the con- the constant presence of nervous systems in chronic metallic poisoning and malaria, lithemia, some forms of diabetes mellitus and other forms of allied nature point to the importance of suspecting the presence of chemical bodies in the blood. What? What does that even What's your conclusion there? I don't understand. I'm so confused. And I'm so glad I've chosen this paper because I have concluded nothing. <laughs> You know what? Sometimes I read medical journals nowadays and I also conclude nothing. <laughs> but, like, it seems like he just name dropped a whole lot of really famous scientists and then went on a rant about how it's so obvious without <laughs> describing the actual disease. And then is like, look, guys, it's a chemical process. And you're like, fine, but what chemicals? And he's like, nah, whatever. If you disagree with me, you're crazy. <laughs> I love that attitude. That is the attitude I'm bringing to 2021, guys. That's it for me. Yep, yep. <laughs> I have no. I don't know what else to say, Nat. I just love this. I mean, what a, what a brilliant end to this. What a brilliant end to this episode. Yes. Um, so perhaps we'll choose another paper where there is a. A stronger conclusion next week. <laughs> Maybe just some stronger writing and some stronger scientific basis. <laughs> Maybe less name dropping. Less name dropping would be great. That would help. Um, Hippocrates. So, sorry. Hippocrates. <laughs> so this week we spoke about difficult colleagues and bosses. We spoke about how to, um, well, not so much manage it as we did just why those things may be there. Um why these people might be acting like they are, but also recognizing that sometimes it is a case of us as opposed to them. Yes. And to just remember that this is a normal workplace interaction. It's something that everybody um, has to learn to deal with and it's okay if you are trying to deal with this, you are not alone. Absolutely, and just remind yourself, Everyone is also having a hard time, guys. It's not just you. You're not the only one out here. We're all struggling in some form of way, and some people are just showing it in a more negative way than others. Yeah. So just learn to brush it off. And if you can't learn to brush it off, wine and wine, my friend. Wine and wine. You're brilliant. You're beautiful. You're gorgeous. You're an amazing amazing doctor you're so smart i mean wow the things you know the things you're going to learn as well how incredible is that yeah and you're brilliant and you will achieve so many amazing things in this world and just remember you're not racing your colleagues you're not racing your bosses it's nobody's pitting you against them except yourself just take your time do your best that's all anyone can ask of you be your gorgeous self. You are brilliant. You are a survivor. You are a legend. <laughs> and we Thanks, are a mess, a of, mess of doctors. doctors. You can find us on Instagram at a mess of doctors and email us at a mess of doctors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Bye. See ya.